0: Hello, welcome to Bethel Baptist Church podcast on this Resurrection Sunday, April 17th, 2022. We will look at a sermon entitled, The Exalted Christ, from Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Let's recap a little bit. Remember back to Noah in May, preached on Philippians chapter 1, and he came to the end of the chapter and said, Let our conduct be worthy of the gospel So that whether I come to see you or in absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. And we looked at that together, uh, that we can do that through humility. Chapter 2, If there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort in love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy, Paul speaking, by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Uh, An idea that is contrary to that of the world. I was even listening to a podcast yesterday while working on my garage and they were talking about that and they said, if you don't look out for yourself, who is? And talking down that line. But scripture gives us a different template, a different person to model and we see that next in Christ. Verse 5, let this mind be in you who also was in Christ, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Jesus Christ, we thank you for that name, your name that is above every other name. Thank you, we thank you for your humility in what you've done on the cross. What you did in be, being God and becoming man. As the video described earlier this morning, I don't think we can fully comprehend even what that looks like, what that meant, what that means. And we thank you for that. But we thank you also that you are exalted, that you are above every other name. And we thank you for the results that we experience personally as a result of your exaltation. In Jesus' name, amen. Who is Jesus? Last time we talked about who was Jesus. Today we get to talk about who is Jesus, because he's not dead, right? No longer what does he do? This verse, these verses describe him. God says, therefore, so as a result of his humiliation. So somehow his humiliation and his exaltation are linked. Somehow the humiliation exalts God. As we get to the end of that uh, verse 11, to the glory of God the Father, we see the purpose in both his humiliation, but also his exaltation therefore god has highly exalted him let's consider a couple different ways that he is highly exalted go to luke chapter 24 last week as i bounced between the resurrection in philippians 2 and and this morning at, or did i say the resurrection the triumphal entry uh, and we looked at the cross, the crucifixion. Now we're going to look at the resurrection. I stayed in Luke for all of those. Um, if I'd encourage you to, to look at some of the other accounts. There's, the authors wrote for different purposes, right? They had different personalities. They were writing to different people groups. They had different perspectives. And so you can really fill out the story by reading the four different accounts, For today, though, we're going to look at Luke chapter 24. We'll start in verse 1. Now the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing spices which they had prepared. But they found the tomb rolled, or the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this. Think about what Jesse had said. They've just experienced Jesus' death, and then Saturday happens, and they come to the tomb the next morning to bring spices, expecting to find him there. The huge stone, maybe like this one, this is a big stone. I moved a lot of rock yesterday for my garage, but they were all in little increments. This is a large stone would have been very difficult for any one person to move, perhaps impossible, and yet it's moved. Middle of verse 4. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid, they bowed their faces to the earth and said to them, Why do you seek the living amongst the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hand of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Can you imagine the emotions they're feeling then? They've forgotten his words, and they hear them from this shining being, who, by the way, at least in this account, doesn't deny worship of himself, but we'll just leave that alone for today. Um, and he reminds them, and they remembered. Think of the emotion of remembering that is what he said. Is this really what happened? Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and all the rest. Let's jump over to verse 33. <clears throat> So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened to them on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now, as they said these things, Jesus stood in the midst of them and said, Peace to you. That's an easy verse to read. Try to picture that, though. They're all standing. Jesus has now appeared uh, to several of them on the, in the road to Emmaus. <clears throat> and suddenly he stands in the midst of them. It, I don't know how that worked, but it was something miraculous, right? And says to them, peace to you. Don't be scared. Hang on. I know you've never seen somebody poof out of air before or however that happened, and they were terrified. Ooh, I just made up a word. No, yes. They were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do you, or do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for the spirit does not have flesh. And bones, as you see, I have. So he shows them the wounds on his, would have been feet and wrists, the spear in his side, the wound that that would have left. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of boiled fish, broiled, either way, I don't know, and honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. I haven't seen many ghosts, but from what I understand, they don't usually eat food. Jesus eats food in their presence. He allows them to, or at least offers them to touch him, to feel his wounds. He is risen, his body. He is still fully God, fully man. Jump down to verse 49. Jesus is exalted through the resurrection and also at his ascension. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you to tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high, speaking of the Holy Spirit, which comes in Acts chapter 2, to those who have believed and now Comes at the point of salvation for the rest of us. Verse 50, and he led them out as far as Bethany and lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. Once again, verses easy to read. But what did that look like? Something only these people have seen before in history. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. He is highly exalted in the resurrection, in the ascension. What happens after he ascends? Ephesians, this passage talks about this a little bit. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17 which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his, at God the Father's right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality, all power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all, his position, the name above every other name at the right hand of God, the Father, he is exalted. Sidebar, that's an awesome text for showing that Christ is the head of the church. He also has a new identity. Go back to Philippians. those verses in Ephesians talk about them and um, verse 9 once again in, in Philippians therefore God has also exalted him and given him a name that is above every other name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven of those under the earth of those in the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is who? is Lord to the glory of of God, the Father. We see Jesus as the God-man. His eternal place never changed. We talked about that last week. Being in the form of God is part of his essence, part of his constant state of being. So that didn't change, but rather this new name further describes his essential nature, his new identity, and some of his new privileges. Let's look at a couple of those. Hebrews chapter 4 What are Jesus's the Christ the Lord's what are his new what is what is his new identity what is this these new privileges that he has as a result of his death and resurrection let's look to Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in the time of help. In the time to find grace to help in the time... Of need. 1 Timothy 2 talks about there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He is both man, he is both God, and he's uniquely suited to fulfill that role as the interceding high priest for us. Flip a couple pages to Hebrews chapter 10. It carries on with some of his new privileges in verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, so the shadow shows us, or hints at, points towards what is coming, but it's not the very image of the things, can never with the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. Think about the sacrifices. I mean, it's hard to look through the Old Testament and just categorize them all, let alone thinking through all of those sacrifices that actually happened year after year. Verse 2, For then would they not have ceased to be offered. If, if these sacrifices were sufficient, you wouldn't have to, like, it'd be done, right? You wouldn't have to continue to, to sacrifice. For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away the sins. Jump down to verse 9. Then he says, and this is Jesus, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We see that sacrifice, the once for all sacrifice, the sufficient substitute for our sin. Jesus in his new Privilege is to be the substitute for your sin, for my sin. Back in Philippians. Considering his new identity, we looked at two of his new privileges, and then he has this new name. Verse 9, one more time, therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every other name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That Jesus Christ is Lord. Some translations uh, translate it um, that every knee will bow. New King James says should. Uh, whatever he's talking about in this specific verse, we know that at the name of Jesus, every knee one day will bow. All will acknowledge, all will agree, all will know that Jesus, what is that name Jesus? That's his his. Manly name that was given to him by an angel that was told to marry. That was a name that reflects his humanness, his manness. It's an earthly given name. All will know that Jesus is Lord, speaking to his sovereign authority that he is the God-man. That's what they're attesting to. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody, everybody is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and everyone is a sinner. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin are, are what we deserve because of our sin is death, separation from all the goodness of God eternally, But not all will experience that. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. I think it's important to note the wages of sin is death. And yes, there is a gift. There is a pardon available. But not all will receive that. Some will experience the wages of sin. Ultimately, that destination is the lake of fire, a place that's prepared for the devil uh, and his, his angels or, or demons. Sometimes this idea stirs a question, perhaps. Why would a loving God condemn somebody to hell, to that place? Why would a loving God do that? I think that's the wrong question. That question perhaps has a spirit of anger in it or confusion, um, a heart of refusal, and the question kind of points the finger at God and says, this is your fault, right? Why would a loving God, why would you condemn somebody there? It's the wrong question. I think the question is why would somebody reject a loving God's gift of salvation from such a place. This is interesting. All will confess that Jesus is Lord, and there's two ways that that happens, two kind of outcomes there. Some will do this in celebration willingly and blessed, praising him for their gift of salvation, praising him for, for what he means for what his humiliation, for what his exaltation means. In an amazing worship, they confess that he is Lord. They praise him for their gift of salvation. And yet others, unwillingly, painfully, probably in persistent anger, in stubborn refusal, will one day have to confess that Jesus is Lord that they were not Lord. They weren't number one. Those who have chosen to exalt themselves rather than submit to God still will one day confess that Jesus is Lord in an acknowledgement of their own condemnation. How terrible. And yet it doesn't have to be because God so loved the world. That he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Christ had no moral obligation to do this. He was God. He didn't have to come and become man and die for sinful man. And we looked at last week in the Godhead, Jesus is is part of creating the world and it rejects him. And yet... As Romans 5, 6 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. We see examples of that in history, where people sacrificed their life for somebody else, In most cases, they have no moral obligation. There's no requirement that they do that. It is a loving, self-sacrificing thing. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He provides the escape from the wages of our sin. He provides the gift of eternal life, and we see this in Christ. Once again, the Philippian jailer asks, what must I do then to be saved? Paul answers, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that name that is above every other name. Place your faith and your trust in the work that Christ does on the cross, in the resurrection, in his ascension, and one day will do in his second coming. Trust in Christ's work to be your salvation from death. We see the purpose of all this fulfilled, the reasoning behind why did this all happen at the very end of verse 11, to the glory of God the Father. It is a glory when we confess that he is Lord, when we worship him. When we as sinners are changed, when he does a work in us, that is to God's glory.